podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Friday, the 11th of June. It is Euros Day. Euro 2020 kicks off tonight. Uh, We are brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. Allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix. Keeps your data safe. LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPLVPN. You get 20% off at checkout. Also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Also asking you once again, go online, read up on the MICA situation in the Republic of Ireland, the push to get 100% redress for the people whose family homes have been affected by catastrophic building failure. A complete lack of building regulations during Ireland's boom time has led to many people being at risk of losing their family homes. So MICA, M-I-C-A, search it on Facebook, Twitter, you'll find it. There's loads to read. It's horrible to see what's happening to people, but do check that out. Right, folks, um, I had expected to start today talking about Spurs and Paolo Fonseca, who we were told was in talks to be the manager Apparently, those talks are still ongoing, but Tottenham are still looking at other options. Julian Lupetegui of Sevilla being one of them. He's probably best known to many people for having been sacked by Spain on the eve of the last World Cup because he'd agreed to take the Real Madrid job and then getting sacked by Real after only a few months in charge. But he's done a brilliant job with Sevilla, won the Europa League with them, has developed Jules Koundé. Yusuf and Naziri, gotten the best out of Lucas Acampos and others. Very, very impressive coach. Could be an ideal fit for Tottenham, considering what their plan is. He's a long-time youth coach as well, was involved in the Spanish underage setup, did previously manage Porto. Um, it, not a spell that went... Uh, it didn't go badly. It would be wrong to say it went badly. He was there for two years. Um, he didn't win anything. He had a 67.95% win ratio, though. Only lost 9 of 78 games. Goal difference of plus 105 as well. So it, it went well. It's just unfortunate. They ran into a bit of a buzzsaw of a Benfica team at the time and just fell short. But he's a very good coach. That's the main thing to know here. He is a very good coach, capable of doing really well at a club like Spurs. Limited budget, want to promote youth, want to make the best of what they have, may well be losing Harry Kane, but could potentially get some players back in that deal that may suit how he plays. I think that would make more sense than Fonseca. And if Fonseca is a good coach, but I think Lupetegui is is a, a little bit above him right now, 
And he is only, well, he's 54, so he's, you know, it's not like he's a young manager, but he's not the most long-tenured manager. Let's say that. He's not a long-tenured manager who's been beaten down by 20 years of non-stop pressure. Other news, David Moyes is close to signing a new contract with West Ham. He's been in discussion with the Hammers over a three-year contract since the end of the season. West Ham, obviously, really impressive season. Sixth place, Europa League football secured. Makes sense for West Ham to try and tie him down. There's been some links with him going back potentially to Everton. Looks like West Ham are moving quickly to try and avoid any sort of embarrassment where they would lose a manager to a team lower down the table than them. Emi Buendia has put pen to paper on a five-year contract with Aston Villa. £33 million plus add-ons. Really good addition for Villa. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing whether or not this is Buendia and Grealish or Buendia in place of Grealish. Man City, we know, very keen on Grealish. United, quite keen on Grealish. I think they might be put off by the price, expect, especially City, who are pushing for Harry Kane. So it may be a thing that just, you know, in the COVID, post-COVID world, they only go for one and maybe leave Grealish till next summer. I think he'd be best off staying at Villa. We're still yet to see him put together a good season in the Premier League. He was okay last year. Dreadful when played in the three. Better in the front three. But awful in midfield three. This season started really well. Hit a dip and then got injured. And then came back at the end of the season. Made no real impact on the game. I'd like to see him put together a full Premier League season. Before I was willing to pay 80, 90 million for a player like that. Um, A player who I think you have to alter your team. To accommodate him. I think you have to allow for the fact that he's not going to do a whole lot of defensive work as well. And that doesn't really fit with how Pep generally plays. You see De Bruyne, you see Gundogan, you see Foden, Sterling. These guys all work really hard off the ball. Not something Grealish is is particularly keen on doing. But maybe under Pep that would be different. Maybe if it was a mandatory part of his role, it would be different. Be very interested to see how he would do when he's not the focal point when everything doesn't run through him as well. Because at City, it's not going to. It's going to run through Kevin De Bruyne. He's the best player. How Grealish copes with being a secondary player, he could even be like third or fourth option in attack when the team is countering. Normally at Villa, everything goes to him. That's why he puts up such gaudy numbers. Can he do the same at City with far less involvement? Remains to be seen. But Buendia, if Buendia is a replacement, it's a good replacement. He's coming off a great season. 15 goals, 16 assists. Now, the last time he was in the Premier League, he only managed one goal. You would hope that he'll be a little bit more willing to shoot this time in the Premier League. And after the season he's had, surely he's going to be full of confidence. Credit to him. He seems, from a personality point of view, he seems like exactly what you want to bring into your club. He did really well to help Norwich get promoted. Had a good season. Could easily have pushed his way out of the club. There's absolutely no doubt he could have pushed his way out. Instead, 
put his head down. He went down into the championship again. And he was the best player in the league. And he helped them come back up. Him or Ivan Tony, One of those two was the best player in the league. I'd probably lean a little bit towards Tony just because of the extra goals. But for what Buendia meant to Norwich, you, you could very easily lean to him. But he's a good addition for Villa. He'll add more creativity. If he can bring goals, that'll be great. He'll take a lot of the pressure off Grealish if Grealish does stay. Everything won't have to go through Grealish anymore. And when Grealish, no doubt, gets injured and misses some time, they won't have this massive creativity void that they need to fill. Manchester United have made a £67 million bid for Jadon Sancho, which was turned down. Um, There's a lot of false reporting going on about this Sancho deal. So the BBC have been fairly poor on this. They are stating that the German club won £77 million and £5 million in add-ons. That's not true. They want £85 million and £15 million in add-ons. They want £100 million for Sancho in that deal. Michael Zork made that very clear. United's offer was £59 million and £8 million in add-ons. That's not a serious offer. When Dortmund tell you the price, that's the price. When Dortmund told Barcelona we want £105 million for Usman Dembele plus add-ons, they didn't budge. Even when he left the country, they didn't budge. That was the price. They were happy for him to sit out and not play. They were going to get their money. They got their price for Aubameyang. They got their price for Mkhitaryan. They get their price each and every time. Last year, they set a price to United and said, that's the price, and we're not budging. They gave United a deadline and said, if it's not done by then, he stays. They've done the same thing this season. And nobody should be surprised by this. This is how Dortmund have always operated. They will not be pushed around. They know the value of what they have. And they'll be happy to keep Sancho for another year. The agreement with Sancho is not that he can leave. The agreement is you can go if someone pays what we want. And what they want is £85 million and £15 million in add-ons. And they don't want it over five years. They want it over three years. Michael Zor could not be more clear on this. And the add-ons, they're going to be fairly easy ones to hit. 50 games, 100 games. There might be some for winning cups that they may not get, but those will be smaller ones. It'll be largely based on appearances. Remember, they have to give Manchester City 10% of the profit on Jadon Sancho. So if they sell him for 85 million, they bought him for eight, that's 77 million. So City will get 7.7. Dortmund will get the rest. They're not going to budge on this. United are not being serious coming out with that bid. And this, to me, seems like United doing the same thing they did last year, which was string their fans along, spread the information among their puppets in the media. The PR PR machine was in full flow last year. Absolutely full flow. And they led everybody a merry dance and never ever spoke directly to Dortmund. 
Not once did they speak directly to Borussia Dortmund last year. This year, we've already seen a circus around, oh, he's agreeing personal terms. Didn't he agree personal terms last year? Was it that hard that it took weeks to agree personal terms again this year when you already had a template for what they would be last year? There's conflicting reports on what those personal terms would be. It would be a five-year deal. I think that's normal. Standard contract. United will push for the option to have a club option year so they can extend it to six years, the same way they have with Pogba and many others. In terms of wages, the Guardian are reporting that it's £350,000 a week, plus bonuses. Now, United fans are adamant it's £250,000 a week, plus bonuses. And they're suggesting that those bonuses wouldn't come from Man United, but of course they would. Who else are they going to come from? Any endorsement deal he has is separate to Manchester United. I don't know what the wage demands are, but 350 grand a week for a club who said, specifically, they were looking to put in a wage structure and stop the mad spending of the Woodward era. It's one of the reasons they've hesitated on the Pogba extension. Because he's going to want 350, 400 grand a week. We've already got De Gea there. He's on 350 grand a week. They did that ridiculous Alexis Sanchez deal, gave him 400 grand a week, and then paid him 300 grand a week to go and play for somebody else. If it's 250 grand a week, I mean, it's a lot. It's an awful lot of money for a guy who's not on close to that at Dortmund. He's on in and around 60 grand a week at Dortmund on his second contract. It's an awful big jump. It's an unjustifiable jump, as good as he is. It's an unjustifiable jump. Put it this way, Mohamed Salah, Virgil van Dijk, two of the three best players in the Premier League, better than anybody at Manchester United, they earn about 180 grand a week plus bonuses. You're really going to pay a 21-year-old who's never done anything in the Premier League more than that? United are not behaving like a serious club. They haven't for many years. Sancho would be a tremendous player to sign, but then there's the question of where he fits. He's best off the left wing. United want a right winger. He can play on the right. He's good on the right, but he needs a fullback who'll overlap and interplay with him. Well, they have Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who they paid £50 million for. Good 1v1 defender. Great straight line speed. Not particularly good on the ball. Not an inventive player. Not a good passer of the ball. So you're not going to get the best out of Sancho for two reasons. Number one, you're not playing him on the right side. You're playing him. Well, you're not playing him on the left side. You're playing him on the right side. The left side would be the right side. Number two, you're not giving giving him a fullback to combine. But now there's talk they might sign Kieran Trippier. Great, slow, okay on the ball, decent crosser. That's about it. Kieran Trippier is not. It's not Trent. If they wanted the ideal fullback to combine with Sancho down the right, 
Max Ahrens is available. Max Ahrens will be ideal. He's the same age as Sancho. They'd have likely known each other for years. You'd have them for years. But then what do you do at Wan-Bissaka? Turn him into a centre-back, maybe? The problem with playing him on the left is you've got Rashford who plays on the left. If you're going to play Pogba, he's going to play on the left in the games where you can't play him in a double pivot. So what do you do? Do you move Rashford to the right? Can you then not play Pogba in a lot of games? But then what happens to Diallo, who you spent $35 million on last summer as huge talent? What happens to Mason Greenwood? Of course, Mason Greenwood can play through the middle, but don't you also own Anthony Martial and Edison Cavani? To me, Sancho doesn't make a whole lot of sense to United. This is the glamour signing. What they need is a defensive midfielder. They ideally would need two central midfielders. A defensive midfielder and a playmaking midfielder. Someone that can sit in the middle of the park and ping the ball around. Someone like Manuel Locatelli. Someone like even a Ruben Neves. Next to a Wilfred Ndidi type. That's what they need. That's where they should be looking to spend their money. And a centre-back. A pacey right-sided centre-back who will play next to Maguire. Someone ideally that can progress the ball a little bit, maybe carry the ball into midfield. That would be quite nice to have. I mean, the ideal person for that role would be Jules Kunde. But if United aren't willing to spend $85 million on Sancho, I don't think they'll be willing to spend $91 million, which is the buyout uh, price for Jules Kunde. They've got a situation in goal that, again, is not ideal. They've got two goalkeepers. They don't know who the number one is. They don't really have a goalkeeper. David De Gea was arguably the best or second best goalkeeper in the world between 2012 and 2017. He had a bit of a dip that 17-18 season, but was still really good. And then he fell off a cliff. He had an awful World Cup. And then he fell off a cliff. Dean Henderson is a good goalkeeper. But that's all he really is. He's a good goalkeeper. He's not a great goalkeeper. He's not someone that's top 10 in the world. And it's Manchester United. You kind of want that level of goalkeeper. Dean Henderson's an Aston Villa level of goalkeeper. An Arsenal level of goalkeeper where Arsenal are now. I don't think he's Manchester United calibre. He might get there, but he's not there now. De Gea was there, but he's rapidly moving away and he can barely see where that was. United are doing strange, strange things. Not many of them make sense. They seem to have Pau Torres close to complete a month ago. It's all gone quiet now. But all the blusters about Sancho. There's no real links to any midfielder. Declan Rice has been mentioned. They're not signing Declan Rice. 
They're not going to pay 80 million for a defensive midfielder if they won't pay 85 for a winger. Even though Rice is more what they need. Rice would improve them more than Sancho despite not being the same caliber of player. Now, 80 million for Declan Rice is ridiculous. Declan Rice is a 35 to 40 million pound player. But this is the club that paid 80 million for Harry Maguire, who was a 35 to 40 million pound centre back. But it feels like twice bitten, twice shy. They overpaid for Pogba. At the time, most clubs would have done it if they could have afforded it. There's no question. Coming from Juventus, he was incredible. But he has massively underperformed and massively disappointed. And there's similarities with his case and Sancho's case. He came through an English academy, moved abroad to get first-team football, excelled, came back for huge money. Sancho was at Watford, went to City, moved to Dortmund for, for to get first-team football, excelled, now looking to come back. They overpaid massively for Harry Maguire. Their spending since Ferguson left has been bizarre, to say the least. That first year under Moyes, not exactly a success in any manner, but it's in terms of transfers, they brought in Fellaini. I know he was there for a, a good while. But, I mean, Mar you're, the, you're the defending champions and Marouane Fellaini is your your signature summer signing. Then they brought in Juan Mata in the January. He's done well. I don't think he's ever hit the heights with United that he did with Chelsea. But he has done well. Hasn't been a flop. Then they brought in Van Hal and they went big. They spent big money on Ander Herrera. He ended up leaving on a free. They spent big money on Luke Shaw. Now, he had a great season this year just passed, but that's year seven at United. It's maybe his second good season. I know he's had the, he had the bad ankle injury, but you could hardly call that transfer a success over the period of time he's been at the club. He's another one that's on ridiculous wages. Marcus Rojo, flop. Angel Di Maria, they paid $60 million for. Super talented, wonderful player. Van Hal thought he was a wingback. They spent big money on Daily Blind. Again, a player I really like. They didn't know what he was. When he played centre-back, he was really good for them. They kept playing him at left-back. Bizarre summer's business. Moving to 2015. They went big on Memphis. Didn't work out. Matteo Darmian. Average run-of-the-mill Serie A fullback. Never really going to be suited to Premier League football. They went big on Schneidlin. Flopped. They spent enormous money on Martial. 50, 58 million, including the add-ons. And they were, by all accounts, very easy to attain add-ons. I think it was 37 million up front, rising to 58. He was 19 at the time, had very little first-team experience at Monaco. 
they thought they'd hit the jackpot with Bastian Schweinsteiger. It turned out there was a reason Bayern Munich were willing to let him go. If Louis van Gaal wonders why his tenure at Manchester United didn't work out, this is why. You did dreadfully in the transfer market. Mourinho arrived in 2016 and United got really excited in the transfer market. Like, really excited. Pogba arrived, 89 million. Mectarian arrived, 35 million, I think. He was a disaster. Mourinho thought he was a winger. He's an attacking midfielder. He should have been played in the central areas. But because they bought Pogba, they couldn't play the two of them through the middle. Brought in Zlatan and a free. It worked okay. Brought in Eric Bailly and apparently never bothered to do a physical on him. Been injured constantly since joining. Again, the following season, they got very excited. Victor Lindelof, 28 million. Had been really good at Benfica. Was better for Benfica than Ruben Diaz. He's been okay for United, but he's still the one you'd need to replace. Now, I don't think there's a whole big gulf between him and Maguire. They're just not compatible at all. Both of them play better next to Bailly, uh, but Bailly's never fit. They went big on Lukaku, 75 million rising to 90. He seemed to lose interest. He seemed to lack motivation at the club. He's been incredible since joining Inter Milan, who, by the way, they sold him to at a loss. They spent 40 million on Nemanja Matic, who had looked a little bit slow in the second half of the previous season. Looked washed once he went to United. Again, they re-signed Zlatan. And then they signed Alexis Sanchez in what was a swap from Ekaterian. Um, and it was it was an absolute disaster. There, there's no other way to describe it other than it was an absolute disaster. Jose's final summer. They brought in Diogo Delos from Porto. Young, inexperienced, clearly not ready. Talented, still talented now, but wasn't ready to move to United at the time. Uh, I would imagine George Mendes had something to do with that deal. And they brought in Fred who's a really good in-between midfielder. Like, he's not a holding midfielder, he's not a playmaking midfielder, but he fills the gaps between the two really well. He could do the same type of job for United that Ginny Wijnaldum has done for Liverpool. But United didn't seem to know what they were buying because he was coming from Shakhtar and City had been interested and there'd been, you know, a lot of hype around him and he was a Brazilian. I think they thought they were buying a playmaker. So initially, we saw loads of Fred on the ball. We very quickly realized he wasn't a particularly good passer of the ball. Short stuff, nice and neat. When he got excited, started to play outside of himself, an unmitigated disaster. They tried him as a defensive midfielder as well, and he just hacked everybody because he couldn't time tackles properly. Then the summer of 19, they get really excited again because they've missed Champions League football. So they get really, really excited. And they bring in Harry Maguire. They overpay hugely. They bring in Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Again, they pay about double, if not a bit more than what he's worth. They bring in Dan James. He starts well, gets proclaimed as 
maybe the greatest winger ever, the new gigs, and then everybody catches up to him and realizes that other than pace, at the time he didn't have a whole lot else to offer. In the January they go and they sign Bruno. Now that's a runaway success, there's no doubt. Bruno's been a tremendous signing. Then you look at last summer. Donny van de Beek was a signing for the sake of making a signing. Alex Tellez seemed like the same, a signing for the sake of making a signing because they panicked. They signed Cavani, who's done well at the end of the season, was really poor for probably the first two-thirds of the season. They got him because no one else wanted him. His agents shopped him to absolutely everybody and no one wanted him. Palestri and Ahmad Diallo were brought in, young players, super talented, Big money on on Diallo, thirty-five million, but the upside is this kid could be a you know a ten-year starter for United. Their transfer business since Ferguson has left is has been a mess. It remains a mess to this day, and the Sancho thing could go spectacularly wrong, especially under a manager who he's not exactly the best, is he? I'm going to do the gossip now, then we'll take our break, and when we come back, we'll talk Euros. Uh, United are prepared to bid for Kingsley Coman if Dortmund play hardball over a move for Jadon Sancho. Dortmund are going to play hardball. Coman will be cheaper, probably. They'd probably get Coman. Actually, they definitely get Coman for what they bid for Sancho. Wage-wise, it'd be similar enough. He's looking for fairly big money. That's his issue with Bayern, is that he's earning... About one-fifth what Leroy Sané is on. And he's not too happy with that. Now, Coleman, I think, is better on the right than he is on the left. He can play both sides as well. I think Coleman is a better fit at United than Sancho. Also because Coleman isn't a great defensive player. But he doesn't need the support. He's, he just gets the ball and goes. Wambasaka behind him, I think that's a better balance than Wambasaka behind Sancho. Juventus are interested in Harry Kane, but a major stumbling block will be the price tag. Um, That's like saying that you're interested in buying a Lamborghini, but that you can't afford it because there's very few people in the world that can afford it. Like, I'd like to have a Lamborghini. I can't afford one. But I wouldn't go around telling people, well, I have interest in owning a Lamborghini if I can't afford it. That is a, I, I would imagine that is a newspaper, Calcio Mercato, a website, making up a story to try and just fill some column inches and get some clicks. They're interested, they just can't afford them, so it's not going to happen. Uh, Manchester United have begun talks with representatives of Paul Pogba about a new contract. So this is from Sky, and this is definitely a lie. Because Pogba doesn't have representatives. He has Mino Raiola. And if Mino Raiola was in talks with United, the world would know about it because Mino would tell them. Pogba has refused to rule out a move to Paris Saint-Germain as speculation about his future continued. He did refuse to rule it out, but he didn't really sound all that keen on the idea. Uh, West Ham manager David Moyes on the verge of signing a new contract. We've We've been over that. AC Milan have agreed a two-year deal with Olivier Giroud. I have doubts that there's truth in that. Uh, I think that's coming from the spoofer with the catchphrase. Um, I I would have doubts that there's any truth to that at all. 
Tottenham are among the clubs interested in Aaron Ramsdale. Wolves are also interested. Has nobody watched him play the last two seasons? He has been undeniably the worst goalkeeper in the top flight in England for two straight seasons. If if you're a director of football and you sign him, you should hand in your resignation. He's not good. Or anywhere close to it right now. And for the money that West Brom or that Sheffield United would want, which would probably be what they paid, 18 million, you could get far better by just having a quick glance around Europe. A, a, a quick glance. Not an in-depth look, a glance. Just throw an eye on Europe. You'll see four or five better goalkeepers for cheaper than that. Real Betis boss Manuel Pellegrini is the latest name linked with the Everton job after Carlo Ancelotti's departure for Real Madrid. The former Man City and West Ham uh, manager is um, is being considered along with Rafa Benitez and Nuno Espirito Santo. I believe Graham Potter's name has been mentioned as well. It shows how blindsided Everton were by this, that they're, they're scrambling right now. Um, I think Pellegrini would be nuts to leave Betis. Betis? Betis. <laughs> where he's done really well and gotten them into the Europa League. Um, I think he'd be mental to leave. And his last tenure in England didn't go all that well at West Ham. So I think that would be a, a poor appointment for 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 Everton. Uh, Everton have made com, uh, co- contact with former Leon boss Rudy Garcia. Rudy Garcia is an interesting one. He's quite a conservative manager. His style of football won't really win many fans. Um, he was fired by Leon at the end of the season. He'd done. He did really well at, at Lille. And won a title back in the Eden Hazard days. Went to Roma, spent three years there. Did okay. Nothing brilliant, but did okay. Went to Marseille. Got to a Europa League final. Lost. Did okay across his three years there. I'd say he underperformed with Leon, Given the talent that's there to miss top four. Or top three as it is. In both years. That's disappointing to me. Uh, Liverpool are preparing to make a move for Sergei Milinkovic-Savic with Jurgen Klopp identifying the 26-year-old as his top target to replace Netherlands international Ginny Wijnaldum. I would love that to be true. I know they did look at him back the summer they signed Naby Keita. Not the summer he arrived, the summer before 2017. But at the time, the price on Milinkovic-Savic was ridiculous, like £100 ish I would imagine it's about half that now. He's still tremendous. He hasn't really hit that level again in terms of goals and assists, but he is still a phenomenal football player. I would love to see him come in and play the number 10 position behind Ginny Wijnald, behind Ginny Wijnald, behind Mo Salah as a number nine in a 4-2-3-1 with Mane on one wing and A.N. other on the other. Ideally, a winger like dare I say it, Rafinha. Thiago and Fabinho as a double pivot. Trent, Canate, Virgil, Robertson. I think that team would be nigh on unstoppable in the Premier League. Milinkovic-Savic is 26. 
So just entering his prime years. And I think as a 10, could do Yaya Toure level things in the Premier League. He scored eight goals last season, or the season just gone, eight the year before, seven the year before, 14 in 17-18. Was it 17-18 Liverpool looked at him? No, it has to have been 16-17. He scored seven in 39. I think that was that was the start of his value going way up. Either way, whatever summer they agreed the deal for Naby Keita, that's the summer they went looking at Milinkovic-Savage. Um... So he does have goals in his game. Like, if you're getting seven, eight, nine goals a season out of a midfielder, that's obviously beneficial. And as a 10, I think he could hit that 12 to 15 kind of mark fairly regularly. Great passer, incredible in the air, wonderful control, carries the ball really well, good at pretty much everything. Great technique, phenomenal technique at striking the ball. Um, I would love that to be true. I genuinely would. If I could pick kind of a dream signing, he he would be right up there just in terms of how much I'd love to see him in that team. There's other midfielders I'd probably prefer in terms of how Klopp plays. But if I could just pick one to just put in and alter the team slightly, it would be him. Um, Huge, huge fan. Everton and Tottenham are both looking to make a move for 23-year-old Uruguay mid, uh, Uruguay winger Diego Rossi, who is expected to cost about 10 million from US Major League Soccer side LA Oh LAFC. Um, I don't know much about him to be completely honest. Arsenal have been linked with Anderlecht midfielder Albert Sambi Laconga, with the 21-year-old Belgian also attracting interest from Monaco, Sevilla, and Bayer Leverkusen. Talented. Don't really think he's what Arsenal need at the minute. But he is talented. I think he needs a move. I suppose given where Arsenal are now, maybe that is sort of what the, the level that they're looking at. But I would have said he needed an intermediate move before a club like Arsenal would go for him. Uh, Mikel Arteta is also keen on RB Leipzig's 22-year-old US right-back Tyler Adams. I do like Tyler Adams. I think he's better as a midfielder than a right-back. But he can play both roles quite well. Marseille are preparing to make an offer for Phil Coutinho. Um, that's a move I'd love to see. Now, I don't know that they can afford him. I have great doubts. I'd imagine it would have to be a loan. But I'd love to see him at Marseille. If he did well at Marseille, he'd be a god in the city. An absolute god in the city. Uh, Fulham's former England under-21 defender, Tosin Adairabayo, uh, is wanted by Arsenal Newcastle. He has a £10 million buyout this summer. If I'm if I'm Crystal Palace and I'm looking to rebuild my team, I'm all over that. Absolutely all over that. I go and get him. I go and get Mark Wahey from Chelsea on loan. Try and get a two-year loan if you can. That's your centre-back pairing sorted for next season and potentially the season after. And if Chelsea are foolish enough, you might or you might get to keep Guy Guahi uh, longer than that. Barcelona have already taken steps to sign Lorenzo Pellegrini, but face competition from Liverpool and Atalanta. I don't see Atalanta paying that level of money. Liverpool have been linked. Barca can take all the steps they want. They've got no money. They can't do anything. They're signing players on a free. That's pretty much their summer. Barcelona and Atletico Madrid are poised to battle it out for the signature of Napoli's 25-year-old 
Spanish midfielder Fabian Ruiz, who has rejected two contract extensions from the Italian club. Uh, so that's a battle that Atletico will win quite easily. Now, you'd imagine that would mean Saul leaving, and Saul would make sense for pretty much every other club. I'm surprised that he's fallen out of favour with Simeone. He's always been one of the trusted lieutenants. And finally, West Bromwich Albion have made contact with former Aberdeen boss Derek McInnes about the managerial vacancy at the Hawthorns following the collapse uh, of talks with David Wag- uh, Wagner. So the other name going around is Alex Neal, formerly of Norwich and Preston North End. I think he's a better manager than Derek McInnes, who, I mean, he did really well at, at Aberdeen, to be fair to him. But I think Neil is is acclimatised to the championship. He's proven he can get out of the championship before. Brought Norwich up. I think I'd go Alex Neil over McInnes. Um, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will chat about the Euros. And I have some questions from yesterday that I need to answer. See you in a bit. Right. Welcome back. So, first things first. Had two questions yesterday that I didn't get a chance to answer. First one is from Henner's East. What are the top five best and bottom five worst club badges? So, did a little bit of research today. Had a bit of a look around. I think the five best are Marseille. I just love that blue O and M on the white background. I think it is just... There's something stunning about it. The star to indicate they won a Champions League. I just think it's a gorgeous crest. Uh, nice and simplistic. Lovely. I really like Vasco, Vasco da Gama's. Now, I, this could just be because I like pirate movies. But I love Vasco da Gama's. Absolutely adored. The boat is just is class. Um, I, I think Vasco da Gama's crest is, is one of the best out there. And... Um, yeah, who doesn't like who doesn't like hearing about explorers and things like that? It's, it's cool. Um, Olympiakos, it's the most Greek badge you can imagine. It just you could just look at it with no words on it, and you would just know it's a, a Greek club. Um, I really like it. I think it's very classy. I love Genoa's for the bottom three quarters. The the top quarter, I could do without. The bottom three quarters of it are great. That stunning red and navy, really, really nice blend. And then the griffin in gold. There's just it's it's really classy looking. Um, and I have a soft spot for Genoa, so uh, Genoa will be there. Inter Milan would potentially have been on this because their old badge was great, but they don't have that badge anymore. So I'm going with Celtic. I may be biased, I don't care, but there's something that appeals to me. It's probably just the Irishness of it all that appeals to me about the Celtic badge. Um, five worst. The new Inter badge, awful. The new Juve badge, awful. Brighton, the saddest looking seagull. It doesn't really even look like a seagull. It kind of looks like a fish with wings. Um, awful. Dreadful. Put some thought, some some time and some thought into this, and come up with a better version of a Brighton. 
Hamburg's, I, I just don't know what to make of it. It looks like one of those optical illusion things. And then the Leeds one, that was the, the guy with his fist on his chest, just looked like the most Brexit thing ever. Um, so I've got that as well. Now, I don't think they, they don't use that anymore, obviously, but, and I think, I think there was a petition that over 50,000 people signed, but I'm, I'm including it because it's dreadful. It should never have existed. Those are the five worst. Marseille, Vasco, Olympiacos, Genoa, and Celtic are, are my five best. The second question I was asked, I didn't get to yet. Uh, there, was, there was three, one from Mona that we'll do next week when we've got a bit more time. But um, Felix from Looks Good on Paper asked me, a uh, best Euros 11 of the 21st century, max one player for, per nation. Now, in the 21st century, we have had the 04, 08, 2012, 2016 Euros. We've had four. I'm allowed one player per nation. Um, in goal, I've gone for Buffon because I think he had a run of multiple good tournaments and he made a team of the tournament. Um, I've gone for Philippe Lam on the base of the 08 Euros when he was exceptional. At left back, I've gone for Yuri Zhirkov of Russia for the same Euros. Both of them, they were the two team of the, t- the tournament fullbacks. They were both brilliant in that tournament. Yuri Zhirkov was was really really good. That guy's still playing. He got he's got to be forty odd. Um, Centre back was tough because I wanted to save certain nations for the attacking roles, and I've got a very attacking team. Um, for from two thousand and four, I've got Olaf Melberg, former Aston Villa central defender. Uh, he was really good in Switzerland's run, sorry, sweet Switzerland, Sweden's run to the quarterfinals that year. Wasn't it the quarters? Yes, the quarterfinals. No, I'm wrong. No, they got knocked out in the group stage. Why have I got him there? I think I just put him in because I couldn't think of anybody else. I think that's the only reason he's in. Anyway, the other centre-back from... Oh, sorry, it was 04. 04, Sweden did really well. 08, they were awful. 04, they did well. I'm a fool. Um, Yeah, they got knocked out in the quarterfinals on penalties by the Netherlands. And he was really impressive. That's what it was. Next to him, I've got... Delas, Trianas Delas, the the centre-back from Greece, who was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant through that tournament. Greece's whole team was based on their ability to defend. They didn't really have much interest in attacking at all. He was the linchpin of that defence. Fantastic player. Um, Scored in the semi-finals, helped them get to the final. The Colossus of Rhodes he was known as. He was just tremendous. An absolute giant. Um, 6'5". Won everything in the air. So I've got him. Uh, that's my back four. Lamb, Delas, Melberg, Zhirkov. In midfield, I've got Wes Schneider from 08. I thought he was the best player at the 08 Euros. And I've got 
David Silva from 2012, and I think he was the best player at that tournament. I've gone with a front four. I've got Griezmann from 2016, player of the tournament at the competition. Hard to argue with, with how good he was. Um, I've got Gareth Bale from the same tournament. Again, I thought he was really good in a fairly mediocre Welsh team. Gets them through to the knockout phases. They they were quite a surprise. I've got Cristiano, but not from the 2016 tournament where I didn't think he played all that well. I've got him from 2012 where I thought he was great. Um, and then I've got Rooney because I needed an English player. And the best Euros performance in the 21st century for me came down to either Ashley Cole or Rooney. And Rooney in 04, that first tournament, he was just really good. He was just really, really good. And I think he deserves deserves mention. Um, it's the only time I think Rooney really performed at a at an international tournament to a high level. But I thought he was really, really impressive in that 2004 Euros. Made the t- team of the tournament. He was only a kid as well. What was he? 18? I think that's that was his international peak. I know he went on to score a ton of goals, but I think that's what it was. Uh, Mona, I will get to yours next week. Anyway, moving on quickly. Scott Brown, sorry, not Scott Brown, Craig Brown, former Scotland manager, thinks that Scotland can win the Euros. Poor man. Lockdown hit him hard and he hit the bottle. You'd have to be drunk. You'd have to be drunk to think Scotland can win this competition. Um, Italy have requested that they be allowed to replace Lorenzo Pellegrini in their squad. It's past the deadline for when they're meant to be allowed to add somebody. They have got Gaetano Castrovilli on standby. I think he will be allowed to join. You'd imagine he will. They'll have to be fair about it. Uh, disappointing to see Pellegrini fall out with the injury, though. So I was really looking forward to seeing how he would, how he would do. He had, had a really good season with Roma. Harry Maguire has finally trained with England. Um, it's the first time he has trained with the group after his ankle ligament injury back in May. Doesn't look like he'll make the first game, but he could be back for the second game, and that would be a big, big boost. I'd imagine England will go back three, Walker, Stones, Shaw, and then Trippier and, and Chilwell as wing-backs for the first game. Uh, Diego Loriente has returned to the Spain squad. So it turns out that it was a false positive on his COVID. He has had negative tests and is now allowed to return. Sergio Busquets is still out. He will miss the first game. He's been forced to self-isolate after testing positive. But he's not been sent home. He is going to stay in and around the area. And uh, hopefully hopefully he will be okay and able to play in the group stages. Scotland have announced that they will take a stand against racism by standing rather than taking a knee. I think this is a cowardly move, if I'm honest. I think it's a really, really cowardly move. And I think everybody involved in the decision-making behind this move should be ashamed of themselves. I genuinely think they should be ashamed of themselves. They've allowed themselves to be dictated to by a bunch of racists who want to cry about Marxism, which is something they don't understand, about millionaires taking a knee. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Leon Goretzka is set to miss the opener 
for Germany against France. That's a big blow because they were going to need him in midfield. I think they'll probably end up going Kimmich, Kroos and Gundogan. It's a talented midfield, very good midfield. Lacks a little bit of dynamism, a little bit of force. I think Goretzka could have, Goretzka could have given them that. Uh, a little bit of controversy in the French squad. Olivier Giroud made some comments about uh, not getting enough of the ball during a friendly with Bulgaria. Uh, Mbappe did not take well to this and wanted to respond to the media, in, in the media. And Didier Deschamps had to shut it down. But um, the French, you know, it seems all is not well within the French camp. Um, Giorgio Cialini has warned that Italy need to be wary of the threat of Turkey, who they face tonight in the opening game. He says that they are capable of really extraordinary performances. Now, Turkey have traditionally underperformed at international tournaments, but they've got a really talented squad this time, especially defensively. And if they if they perform at their best, they could cause Italy problems because the Italian defense is a little bit questionable. You wouldn't love any of the fullbacks, and Bastoni's the only centre-back. He's the only centre-back under the age of 30, and he's the only one you'd look at and think, he's he's a top player now. Benucci and Cellini are past the best. Uh, Serbia and Toloi were never top centre-backs. Um, Reese James has admitted that he has been used in multiple positions in training as a wing-back, a centre-back, and a right-back. Um, if you've got three positions, son, you don't have any. And that's pretty much it. That is pretty much it for Euro News. Um, it obviously kicks off tonight. First game is Italy versus Turkey. For those that are interested, I have previews written on the Liberty Shield, Liberty Shield website, uh, previewing, previewing Group A, B, C, D, E, and F. So you can read them at libertyshield.com. Um, I am banned off Twitter at the moment, I should point out. I've been suspended on, on Twitter for a week. Uh, so if you're wondering why there's no interactions at all, that's why. Uh, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to figure out how to do next week's Twitter Thursday. Because my ban won't lift until after I be due to record the podcast. But I'll figure something out. We'll figure something out. We always do. Um, we might just have to make it up. We might have to get Guy to tweet it out or something and, and go from there. Um, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm. So if, if, if I'm not replying, it's not that I'm being rude. I just can't. If you need to get in touch with me, DM me or the Anfield Index Discord. And speaking of Anfield Index, myself and Carol Matchett have a daily Euros preview pod every single day throughout the Euros. It'll be up at 11 a.m. It's half an hour. I know it's a shock that I can manage to do a podcast in half an hour, but it is half an hour. It will be no more than that. And it will be 30 minutes looking ahead to the games of that day. On this podcast, we will mostly look back at the games that have been played rather than ahead of the games that will be played. But what we're going to do today for a little bit of fun so that I can have something to laugh at myself about afterwards, I did the predictor on the FIFA website. Um, sorry, the FIFA website, the UEFA website for these Euros. Predicted all the groups and the knockout phases. And um, not to bore you with the groups, but what I ended up with was a round of 16 where Belgium faced Germany, Italy faced Ukraine, France take on Switzerland, 
and the Czech Republic face Poland. That's one side. I've got Belgium coming through, Italy coming through, France coming through, and Poland coming through. Then I've got Belgium-Italy. I have Italy winning that game. And I have France-Poland. I have Poland winning that game. On the other side of the draw, I end up with um, Spain against the the Netherlands, Croatia against Portugal, Austria against England, and Turkey versus Denmark. I've got Denmark, England, Portugal, and Spain advancing to the semifinals. Sorry, the quarterfinals. I have Portugal and England advancing to the semifinals. So I get Portugal versus England, Italy versus France. I've gone for a France-Portugal final. And I've gone for France to win. Now, I picked England to finish second in their group. Um, and they ended up getting by far the easiest path through to the uh, to the semifinals. So if it works out for them like that, I think they'd be quite happy. Uh, I did see somebody sent this to me. Um, Joe Hall, one two one, sent this to me uh, from at Grace Note Live, part of the Grace Note Sports Network, apparently. Um, the Grace Note forecast for Euro 2020, most likely quarter finalists. Spain, England, Italy, Belgium, Denmark, Netherlands, France, and Germany. The most likely finals matchups, and this is where they've gone wrong. This is where, when you've got a formula that gives you these results, this is where you should realize the formula probably doesn't work. In their view, the five most likely finals are England versus Belgium. That's number one. England versus Italy. Denmark versus Belgium. France versus Belgium. And England versus France. In their view, England and Belgium are the most likely teams to make the final. They think Denmark could make the final. I don't think Denmark make the semifinals. So I would say to the good people at Grace Note Live, it might be time to just tweak the formula just ever so slightly. One or two notches. But you're off. England, England making the final would be staggering. Staggering. I would love to see Italy win it. Italy are due. They haven't won it since 1968. They are due. I'd love to see the Belgians win it because this is the golden generation. They may never have a team that's this talented again. De Bruyne and Hazard are both 30. A lot of the defenders are a little bit on the older side. Toby, Jan Vertonghen, Thomas Vermeijen still knocking, knocking about. They've got a great goalkeeper, but again, he's pushing 30. And the class coming through beyond them, it's not it's not of the same calibre. Now, Tielemans is excellent, and Jeremy Doku is really, really exciting. But there isn't the depth, there isn't the volume of players that there was in this other squad. Um, 
Yuri Versharen is a really talented one. He is at um, Anderlecht. Zeno van Housden, the centre-back from Standard Liège, I love, but he's had like three ACL tears. He's only 21. Like, what's he going to become? What's he going to be like when he's 25? Can, will he be able to run anymore? The Germans have had success in, you know, recent memory. So have Italy. So, sorry, so have um, France. So have Spain. I'm a little bit biased. I don't want England to win, being honest. I, I really don't want England to win because it'll ju just be unbearable. Just be unbearable. England get to semi-finals. We never hear the end of it. Never hear the end of it. Still talking about when football came home. You got beat by Germany. Shouldn't be talking about it anymore. Saw some disrespect of the 96 Euros earlier on saying it was turgid football. I'll go to war over the 96 Euros. The 96 Euros was great. And that German team that won it is one of the best international teams of all time. And that system that they used, Bertie Vokes is a genius. A genius. That is one of the most complex defensive systems you'll ever see. I'd love Italy to win. Mainly for Barella. I love him. I adore this kid in midfield. He's phenomenally good. But I think France will win it. A lot of players out of form, but so much talent. And they've got the Mbappe trump card. Kid's just ridiculous. He is ridiculous. For tonight, I'm picking Italy to beat Turkey. I'm going to say 2-1. But I think it'll be a close game. Uh, I will be back Monday. And there'll be more of this type of shenanigans and carry on. Um, but enjoy your weekends. Stay safe. Don't do anything foolish. Hopefully you get nice weather wherever you are. And uh, that's it. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.